Hi, I'm Sherry Breedlove, and during my years of Bible study, I've learned many interesting facts about the women in my group, but this one's fascinating. This is a photo of our own Carol Kudish, or should I say Lieutenant Commander Kudish, call sign Smokey. She was a Navy jet pilot from 1994 to 2006, and she flew an FA-18C jet. This photo was taken on the USS Enterprise in 1998, which has since been retired. She's actually leaning against a laser-guided bomb in the photo. During Bible study, before COVID, Carol was sharing some of her insights she had learned from her experience in the Navy. She explained that when you land on an aircraft carrier, you can't trust your perception about your position relative to the ship. When you look out your front window, what your eyes are drawn to is the back end of the ship, the part right here. Pilots are taught early in training. If you look there, you will go there. And flying in the back of the ship usually meant certain death. In order to safely land on the ship, you must fly to where the ship is going to be. And the ship is moving through the water at 25 to 30 miles an hour. The only way you know where you are relative to where the sh ship is and where you're going to be is to trust your instruments on the plane and don't look at the end of the ship. Instead, look long to where you're supposed to land. By looking long, by looking long you're able to fly where you need to be and rather than where your eyes want to take you, which once again is to the end of the ship. So no matter what she saw or how she felt, Carol had to trust in her instruments and her extensive training. It was not easy. Sometimes things that were right in front of her seemed good. And then when she checked it against her instruments, she saw that she was not in a position to safely land. So when Carol is looking at her instruments, she's, she's also looking as she's approaching the aircraft carrier, she's looking at these lights where the arrows are pointing. So this is what it would look like as she was landing during the day, but this is what it looks like at night. Everything is black, the sky, the ocean, everything around you, and those same lights are just there in the, in the, at the bottom, barely able to see. So you have to trust your instruments, and that's what Carol knew, put her trust in her instruments, but obviously you see the connection that she also puts her trust in God, just like we can. So it's not what you feel, not what you see, but it's what you know about God to be true. Today we're going to study three people from the Old Testament, Saul, Samuel, and David, and we're going to see their responses to God's trustworthiness. We will learn the more we trust God, the more we will obey God. Let's start with Samuel because he's the link between Israel being ruled by judges to being ruled by kings. He's a very good example of trusting God in all things. Samuel first learned to trust God's call on his life from his mother, Hannah. In 1 Samuel 1, we read Hannah's story. She was one of Elkanah's two wives. She did not have any children, but his other wife did. So Hannah prayed to God and asked if, she, if he would give her a son. She vowed that she would give that son back to God. God did bless her with a son, Samuel. And once he was weaned, she took him to the priest Eli, just as she had vowed. Samuel trusted his mother's vow for his life. But then God called Samuel directly from the, with the help of Eli the priest. One night, God called Samuel's name. And Samuel said, 
Here I am, and he ran to Eli. And Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So Samuel went back to bed. And again, God called his name. He did this two more times, and both times, Samuel ran to Eli saying, here I am. And so finally, Eli realized that it was God who was calling Samuel. And he said, the next time God calls your name, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God did call Samuel's name again. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And what God told him was about judgment that was coming to Eli and his wicked sons. And this eventually led the way for Samuel to become prophet. Samuel also trusted God's word and obeyed him in all that God asked him to do. In 1 Samuel 3.19, we read, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel trusted God because he remembered all that God had done for Israel, his mother, and also what God had done faithfully for him personally. So in application, when others look at you and your life, do they see a person who trusts God? When God calls you to a task or to serve in a ministry or in some way, do you respond eagerly as Samuel did? Or do you weigh your options against your, your own will before you decide to obey? Before we go on to Saul, let's go back to the picture of the aircraft carrier at night. Carol Kudish also told me, told me of a member in her air wing, Lieutenant Craig Munson, that for some reason, unknown reason, did not put his trust in his instruments. During training in the Caribbean on a night landing on the aircraft carrier, he failed to do what he had done many, many times before. Carol explained that a pilot must descend at a set rate of descent and to level off at 1,200 feet to approach for landing. At night, you can't tell where you are, whether you're coming down or not, you have to trust your instruments to tell you that you're doing the descent properly. And if you fail to decrease your rate of descent at the proper uh, timing, you will fly into the water. In less than 60 seconds, Lieutenant Munson's inattention led to his death. The mishap investigation revealed his mistake. Had he followed and trusted his instruments, he would have come back home to his family. This is a tragic story of what happens when you take your focus off of what you should be trusting and instead you rely on yourself. So let's move to the second person, Saul. Unlike Samuel, who willingly and eagerly responded to God's call for his life, Saul failed to trust God's call and decided he knew better than God. Samuel wasn't sure about Israel having a king, but he obediently waited for God to bring his chosen person to Samuel. By way of a lost donkey, and this donkey gets really lost. It goes way far from home. In 1 Samuel 9, we learn that Saul is sent to find this donkey. And in his quest to find his donkey, he comes upon Samuel. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? 
After the anointing, Samuel explained to Saul about the events that he would come upon as he returned home. And one of these encounters would be meeting a group of prophets that were coming down off the high place or place of worship. Samuel told Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. God provided Saul with confirmation that what God said would happen took place. Saul was shown that God is to be trusted. But when Samuel called everyone together to publicly declare Saul as king, this is what happened. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin. Clan by clan, the Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? The Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. So instead of humbly accepting God's call to be king and rely on God's strength and wisdom, Saul hides in fear. But after he's publicly declared king, Saul was given a command from God through Samuel that we looked at in our lesson. As you recall, the Philistines were poised to attack Israel. Saul gathered his army and he went to Gilgal where he was to wait until Samuel got there. Well, the men, Samuel wasn't coming and the men got fearful and began to scatter. So Saul decided he would offer the burnt offerings, burnt, burnt offerings himself. Saul knew God's law and God through Samuel was very clear about waiting for Samuel for the sacrifice. The appropriate person who was supposed to do the sacrifice. Saul violated a very clear command because he became impatient. His army was dispersing. He was fearful of the um, Philistine army that was pressing in on him. So he did what he thought was best because he knew better than God. When Samuel finally arrived at Gilgal, he told Saul that because of his disobedience, God was going to take the kingdom from him. But God gave Saul one more chance to obey. In 1 Samuel 15, we read, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy what belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. This is hard to understand, but God had been long suffering. He had waited hundreds and hundreds of years, but still the Amalekite people were wicked. And to be very clear for Saul, God even describes what he meant by totally destroy. But Saul doesn't obey God's command. He kept the best of the Amalekites for himself and for his men, and he even spared the king. 
when Samuel eventually arrives, Saul lies to him and says that he had obeyed what God commanded. But in truth, Saul chose only part of the command to obey. He decided what was worth keeping instead of destroying. Saul was more concerned with looking good in front of his people than being good before the Lord. I think we're all prone to do that sometimes. I know I am. Sometimes it seems too hard to trust and obey God. So in application, why do we sometimes fear to trust God? Fear, insecurity, lack of faith, sin, shame, running from responsibility. So now let's turn to our third person, David, a giant of a man. In your lesson, you read the account of David slaying Goliath. Look, let's look again at David's defense of God's name. David said to, to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel that, whom you have defied. David loved and feared God so much that not even Goliath was going to stop him from defending God's name. I think that today our society has lost our reverence for God's name. David also trusted God's timing. I struggle with this. I can be very impatient. I'm a type A and I want to know it now. When I have a goal in sight, I want all the information and the facts so I can get started and get planning. But I can't say that's just the way I am because I know that God wants to sanctify me, make me more like him. So I need to cooperate with him and trust that he can mold me from an impatient person to one who waits patiently on God's timing. David has taught me so much about waiting on the Lord. He was given two opportunities to speed things up and to take his rightful place on the throne. We studied how David uh, uh, had a chance to kill Saul in the cave, and all he did was just cut a corner of his robe instead. Now let's look at another chance that David had to kill Saul, and it happened to be another time that Saul was hunting David. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered the enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near, the head, near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. So not only did David resist the encouragement of Abishai to take timing into his own hands, but did you catch that God had put them all in a deep sleep? He could have done anything to them and they would have stayed asleep. God tested David and David passed the test, choosing to trust God and that he would, he would give David his throne at the appropriate time. 
I think it's also interesting that um, when he first cuts the corner off of his robe, that was symbolizing how David was going to tear Saul's kingdom from him. And then when he took his spear, that symbolized that he was also then taking his authority as king from him. So in application, when circumstances don't match your assumptions or expectations, do you turn to fear, doubt, or pride and, and you take control? Or do you turn to God for understanding? Before David trusted in God's forgiveness and grace, he took, he took control of his circumstances and did things his way. In our lesson, Lisa briefly describes David's um, sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11. After David relied on his own will to have Uriah killed and to take Bathsheba as his wife, God sent the prophet Nathan to convict David of his sin. Through Nathan, God tells David that he had given David everything. And then God says, Why did you despise the, the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. God then continues to tell David of other consequences that were going to come from this sin. And then David says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. God forgives David, but he does allow the consequences of David's sin. We read in our lesson, Psalm 51, of David's response to this forgiveness in his true repentance. I'm sure you'll all enjoy discussing these beautiful verses in your group. We have learned warnings and encouragement from these three people's relationship with the Lord. We also learned from Carol's story that we can only get where we need to go when we put our trust in the right thing. We saw that the deeper our relationship with God, the more we will trust in his call, his word, the power of his name, his timing, and mostly his grace and forgiveness. If we think of it, it's like a progression, like this. The more we know God, the more we trust God. And the more we trust God, the more we obey God. And all of this is motivated by love. And the more we know God, the more we love him. Knowing God is the key. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. So like Carol, trust your instruments, trust in God, not yourself. So let's close, close with a quote from Warren Wiersbe. When God forgives and restores his people, he wants them to forget the failures of the past, witness for him in the present, and claim his promises for the future. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do want to get to know you more. Please reveal yourself through this study and through the verses that we will read. Help us to see your different attributes and the ways that you, can, you have been glorified. Help us, Lord, to know you, to love you, to trust you, and to obey you. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.